Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelicone. And this is going to be our last bonus episode of the year. This is going to focus on Gen X male actors. And we're going to kind of discuss all the different possibilities who for what actor kind of has risen to the top of Gen X actors. Um, at least as of 2021, there's still plenty of time, I guess, for many of these actors to add to their body of work. Uh, where this kind of generated from was a side conversation as we were talking about our last episode of the year, which will drop next week, which is the top five films of 2001. Um, spoiler alert, there's a Johnny Depp movie on that list, and it's generated a conversation between Frank and I outside the podcast about at one time Depp being like the kind of heralded Gen X actor and how that's played out through the rest of his career and then spawned this kind of deep conversation that probably went on for too long. So we'll be repeating some of it between ourselves uh, on this podcast, but we wanted to start actually to sit down and do a deeper exploration of the, um, the idea of Gen X male actors. Um, I do want to do female actors at some point, um, someday, but, uh, but yeah, so that's going to be the primary conversation night is going through a lot of different actors and their bodies at work. Uh, and I've done this kind of humanities view, like narrative subjective view of this entire thing and done this, like uh, some research and Frank has, um, uh, done a bunch of research and has like quantified everything and like has like a rating system for his actors eventually so uh, different approaches here um, we'll see where we end up on our lists so you actually have actors ranked then frank like I have metrics okay yeah, okay cool all right i have them ranked um at least the top five and of what i who i think top five gen x actors are but okay um but before we get to that uh as we've been talking about for probably month now, we will be having a new supplemental podcast that starts next year as a replacement for the quick cage. As many of you could probably tell by the number of bonus episodes we've put out in the past two months, we don't know what to do with our lives during the middle of the week. Uh, we got used to on Tuesdays, having the quick cage to fill the void in our lives. And now we will be starting a new supplemental podcast that will run the span of 2022. We'll be releasing it every week, probably on Tuesdays uh, again. And it is going to be titled The Spin Chagrin. Frank, do you want to tell them about this concept? Because it was your idea. Um, so we had talked briefly about what can replace the quick cage. And we had some other ideas, I guess, kind of, but. I was sitting here one night and I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be funny if there was just some random topic that came up, <clears throat> some very vague, like, movie description, and I had to find a movie that I've never seen that fits that description and then watch it in the span of a week and talk about it. Because um, it kind of opens up to multiple different genres and levels of quality of movie, I think. Um, it absolutely if, does yeah. especially if i have to watch something i've never seen before so mm -hmm. it allows us to have the to wallow in the depths that some of the quick cage did um while still not pigeonholing any one specific actor or director or whatever over the course of time so 
I think it'll be fun to just have that variety every week and the surprise of what that movie is going to be. Yeah, uh, agreed. And for transparency's sake, you kind of extemporaneously generated about 30 of the categories there are and then told me what they were so for example um i'll just give the audience a couple a couple examples of what this might consist of is anthropomorphic animal hijinks um was one of frank's categories um and then things like toilet humor so he would have to find a movie that fits those categories that he hasn't seen before and then come talk and discuss or i guess review that movie since then there have been roughly 30 more categories added by me and our co-hosts of our sister podcast best 30 minutes mike bledsoe to ryan wellmaker and it did tend towards more of fucking frank over by giving right. him categories that would it would be difficult to find something that would be good so um but that's just a challenge right so right. i'm excited so so i have a wheel that i that i have to spin here and we are going to spin the wheel for the first time and then in subsequent episodes we will be spinning the wheel at the end of each episode in order to determine what movie or category of movie frank needs to watch the following week all right so you ready frank to hear what your first category is so ready okay i'm gonna spin now well this is exciting and a movie involving hacking mm. is your first first goal. Pretty easy one, I think. Find a movie involving hacking that you haven't seen. There's actually probably a couple almost, good ones. Just every movie involving hacking. <laughs> Except for maybe like Hackers and um, that other one. The Net or whatever. Right. So yeah, so that, that's a, that's an easy one to start off. I think I think I bet you there's a couple good movies that have some hacking in it. <clears throat> you might be able to find something that's decent. All right, so let me remove that from the list. And it's nice we're starting out with something that's yeah, yeah. I agree. I didn't. I I was really hoping it wasn't one of the categories that really is going to be in. Oh yeah, those will come. There is one category that is just one movie. Like, you just have to watch that movie. That's the only one that exists. Everything else, there's a choice in. Actually, no, there's there's one other category that doesn't have a choice, but it's... Well, there is, yeah, but it's it's specific to your memory. So, um, and it's a, it would be a rewatch at that point. But So there's one category like that. All right. All right, so a movie involving hacking coming uh, January, I guess, 4th, probably, yep. will be that episode. <clears throat> All right, so let's go ahead and start talking about these Gen X actors. So we have something that you brought up prior to the podcast tonight is that there's a number of notable actors that appeared in popular, important 
movies related to the generation and and when i say generation we're talking roughly six actors born between 65 and 1981 82 range so there's a number of these actors that were extremely popular in the 80s and maybe early 90s and their careers fell off for one reason or another but it would be we'd be remiss to not talk about some of these people in relation to gen x so um you brought up specifically you want to talk about michael j fox right yeah he was the first one that came to mind of a guy where i was just i don't know how i thought of him but i was thinking like there's so many other actors from this time period and he's one of those ones where i kind of feel like had he not devoted so much of his time to television and had he not you know unfortunately been stricken with parkinson's i think that he's a guy that later in his life would have come back as almost like an elder statesman of this generation of actors and done some really great stuff and not to say he doesn't have you know important and memorable roles in his filmography but i mean obviously he was very limited after a certain point in what he could do um but pound for pound like especially during the back to the future family ties time period um arguably maybe no more popular actor out of this generation um especially you know as marty mcfly um I think both friend of the podcast, Orion Wellmaker and myself um, have a lot of really deep affection for Back to the Future. Um, Orion especially has a lot of love for that whole series. Um, and just one of those those characters that was a guy that you kind of wanted to be, sort of. And he was just everywhere and he was always cool and appealing and entertaining and really good sense of comedic timing and also a decent actor on top of it. I mean, you know, he's good in secret of my success and bright lights, big city. I mean, he's got like good performances that are in more dramatic roles and then the back to the future movies and, you know, his long running um, tenure on spin city that one of the more popular, you know, characters, television shows for a period of time. So, yeah. And I think he captured, he captured some of the anxiety and quirkiness that's inherent in that in the generation a little bit yeah yeah because he was a guy that could play a guy that was an outsider in some way typically in his movies at least at the start of the movie um either bullied or economically you know in the sense of when you look at stuff like um Back to the Future, where he kind of starts from a disadvantage and then through his own, I don't know, in ingenuity and spunk or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. like somehow rises to the occasion and sort of like conquers whatever situation he's in. It, it's, it's one of those things that I think that a lot of kids could relate to where, you know, he was cool, but nobody saw that he was cool until like he really showed who he was and then he was accepted and celebrated and it was kind of always the feel good like underdog story with michael j fox for the most part yeah no it's a shame um i think you're right i think he would have proven out to be a pretty strong dramatic actor who might have never might never been a lead necessarily but would have had this like probably range of like supporting roles and occasional lead role uh in a lot of probably sure you know um, a guy that somebody like tarantino would have looked at or paul thomas anderson or whatever sure you know later later in their life and cast him in some 
like really dramatic role or somebody that would have fit in well with somebody like Wes Anderson. I yeah, think, I, I agree. Of, yep. I was, that's like what his, I was thinking of. Yeah. His personality. Um, Cause that's what I say. We love quirkiness and like Wes Anderson is like, I think indicative of that yeah. as a generation. I think Michael J. Fox could have fit into that perfectly. Interesting also because, and I know that like he was, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the late nineties. Is that right? I believe so. Or mid nineties. Like, yeah. Mid, mid spin city. Mm-hmm. Um, but a guy that was really, really successful early in his life and never fell to the trappings of success in the way that some other people did. So yeah, managed to kind of parlay like a childhood fame, like into his late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties as just a reliable, solid actor that, you know, would get a movie role here and there would, it was on TV and, you know, always entertaining. And yeah. and since he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's, has become, in a lot of ways, like a big role model and advocate for mental or um physical health and mental health and disabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah dis- like living with disabilities and always has a really positive outlook. And mm-hmm. you know, you're always kind of happy to see Michael J. Fox do anything just because he's a good guy. At least ostensibly, like I've never heard anything bad about Michael J. Fox, and right, you kind of yeah. just want the best for him. So. Yeah, um, no, absolutely agreed. Uh, sad, that diagnosis. And then um, also during around that time period in the 80s and 90s, or certainly the 80s and kind of into the 90s, I guess, you have the Brat Pack. Yeah. Who are in a lot of the John Hughes movies. And so you have to name them for me because you just looked them up. But it's Rob uh, Lowe. Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, um, Anthony Michael Hall. Mm-hmm. Then there's some other ones like um, uh, Judd Hirsch, um, James Judd Spader. Nelson. Oh, Judd Nelson, yeah. Mm-hmm. James Spader. Not Judd Hirsch. <laughs> That's really funny. That'd be really funny that Judd Hirsch is just like chilling with the Rat Pack like back in like 85. Judge Reinhold, right? The other one of the... <laughs> <laughs> my name is judge, judge yeah. um james spader mm-hmm. um who else like uh oh what's his name uh ferris bueller um oh matthew broderick yeah yeah matthew broderick yeah, fuck, i there. forgot about matthew jeez yeah. yeah uh matthew modine is kind of part of that same grouping mm-hmm. um and then some other guys that we talked about like a little bit that are sort of tertiary to that so like charlie sheen and Kiefer sutherland and kevin bacon uh christian slater like just these guys that at one point or another were hyper famous kind of like idol style stars you know they were on in tiger beat magazine and on mtv and saturday night live and just like we're everywhere and we're the epitome of like the cool actor at that moment that either and a lot of those people have gone on to very prodigious careers, but I think the people that you gave me on your list, C11, are probably like top to bottom the more successful in terms of critical acclaim and um, overall quality of film. But I mean, hey, like at one point, Christian Slater was one of my favorite actors. Um, I love Kiefer Sutherland. Like, well, you think they, they, they are a lot of those actors are in movies that are beloved by gen xers that are 
like propped up as these artifacts right. or as or the characters they play. So it's like I you said Matthew Broderick, and I was thinking like, damn, Ferris Bueller is like the the ultimate Xer, right? right. Um and still still to this day, like one of the more referenced movies. I mean, anytime anytime I'm in a meeting where there's silence or somebody forgets to unmute their, mm-hmm. you know, their, their microphone on Teams. Somebody inevitably is like Bueller, Bueller, and it's just yeah, right. Like yeah. in 2021, I'm hearing a reference to a movie that's almost as old as I am. Sure, and it's like then it's like you have like things like the Lost Boys that Kiefer right. is in, and the Corys are in. Yeah, Sean Astin. No, he's not in the Lost Boys, but he's another one that fits in with. Oh that. yeah, Astin. Right, yeah, yeah, and but a lot of these. Look, they, they they all like kind of like fall off for different reasons. Some because they reach their level of competency, I think, and just no longer get cast in big roles. But some of them because they get typecast or stereotyped. Some of them because of personal issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we didn't talk about Keanu, did we? Did, did you mention him in there? No, I wanted to save him for kind okay. of his own. Yeah unique addendum well we can talk about him now i mean so yeah, there's yeah. another guy in some movies that were popular um i don't know if keanu reeves was ever the level of popular as like many of these other actors um because i don't know that keanu reeves was ever necessarily taken seriously but if you just look at like longevity and just the amount of sheer like goodwill that exists towards that man from multiple generations of people i mean like you know definitely cross-generational maybe overall like the most recognizable and well-liked of all these celebrities Mm -hmm. and really i mean like i'm not a fan of the matrix movies beyond the first one but i'm actually pretty excited to see this matrix movie just because i'm kind of hopeful that it's good you know because keanu's in it in a lot of ways yeah sure and another as the therapist or whatever in that another kind of we just talked about him recently with 8-bit christmas but another kind of like exer icon that i didn't even think about like at a different a couple of points in his life now is um neil patrick harris yeah yeah that's true like mate well again one of the ones that for a brief period of time among the most like widely known and successful through television and then just television again throughout i guess the majority of the 2000s really right was how i met your mother uh-huh yep i mean that thing's like a lot of seasons of that sure. show yeah um but yeah keanu's an interesting case like keanu's he's gotten better over time i'll give him that i i really like his role as john wick i think he oh, does yeah. a good job with those i've seen a couple other things later in his career that he that's good but Point Break is one of his like famous early movies that I think he gets that and Bill and Ted probably or those two. Yeah, definitely those two. And Bill and Ted, that kind of fits a little bit of the personality, right? Like an exaggerated form of, I think, Keanu's laid back, lackadaisical, like Zen type uh, approach to life. But honestly, Break is bad. It's not a good performance if you go back and watch it right now. Like, it's like Swayze saves that fucking movie. Right. Point Point Break is one of those movies that I will always enjoy because I loved it as a kid. And I think I kind of forgive just how like off-putting that performance is in some ways. Yes. Not even off-putting, just awkward and 
uncertain, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is he plays Bill. I think he's Bill. Um. Anyway, he whatever yeah. one of those he yeah, is. I think so. And that just typecasts him. I mean, even mm-hmm. that was always the joke in like the Matrix is like people would just like make Bill and Ted jokes like when the Matrix came out. So, but I think that I, I think Keanu is one of those guys that if he's very comfortable in a role and it's not too much of a stretch beyond what his actual personality is, I think that he really falls into a role and can perform it well. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's times where he's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's really kind of like the most human seeming action star that we have in a lot of ways. And you look at like the total gross of, just take the three Matrix movies and the three John Wick movies. I mean, that's two really considerably profitable franchises that this man is the centerpiece of. Um, so while like the quality of movie might not rise to the level of some of the other people on our list, you know, definitely the renown and the yeah. you know, box office. Sure. Clout. And th- and that's how I've kind of thought of this as we're getting deeper and closer talking about some of these other actors is I kind of thought about it in terms of overall quality of work throughout their career, iconic roles or movies that they've been in that are iconic and then kind of box office success as well. And, and Keanu, the quality of work isn't as high. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's like in professional wrestling, they have like the categories of like, gimmick personality mic skills and in-ring skills and it's like very few people have all three it's very similar to this like Keanu doesn't have the quality of work necessarily uh but he has tons of iconic roles and iconic movies and he has box office success with two major franchises so um he rates I mean certainly and he gets like the little like uh bonuses just being a good guy so do do you think that Keanu Reeves is something so before we like get into this just really quickly Mm -hmm. generationally yeah our generation of actors I think is as prolific as maybe the golden generation of actors like people you think of from the, the the 30s 40s and 50s who were the popular actors then you know like um I don't like Bogart, Bogart and Cary yeah. Grant, Cary Grant, um, Robert Mitchum, mm-hmm. um, even like John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's these basically like some of the largest names in Hollywood that are active in this 25 year period. So let's look at it like that in chunks of 25 years. Mm-hmm. And then like the boomer generation of actors. I mean, there's some great actors in there. You have like Hackman and Nicholson. Um, yeah, that's a little bit more. Yeah, it's tough. That's a some of those might be a little bit more silent generation. I mean, you have to think like it's because we're getting old. Boomers are more like Hanks. That's true. Well, that that's a good example. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Um, Denzel is a boomer. Denzel, Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvester Stallone, yeah, yeah. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of look at Keanu Reeves as being like the Errol Flynn of this generation, like this guy mm-hmm. that's handsome in a in like a very specific way 
and just makes these movies that I think people just enjoy. Like he just makes fun movies. Like you don't really look back on the swashbuckling movies of Errol Flynn and think like, man, the, I mean, some of those movies are good, but they're mostly good because of him and because they're entertaining. And you probably don't even like a lot of those movies, honestly. No, no. But um, but to me, he's like an actor like that where. You know, we have some people that I think are like in the same vein of somebody like a Bogart or um, Mitchum or like, you know, some of the great actors of that time, that generation. But I think we also have those actors that are kind of just, you know, like Clark Gable or whatever, like these handsome in these popular movies that you might not remember 30 years from now, but at some point, like made a decent amount of money at the box office just because they were in them sure and I think agree. about like the funny thing is that do you remember in the because you write entertainment weekly i think mm-hmm. more than i did probably yeah and we were both subscribers for like a long time to entertainment yeah. weekly that used to be the big thing is like who's going to set the next record for a payday in a in a movie like sure. that was and i don't even know how much people make in movies anymore but like for 10 years that was the litmus test for someone's success as an actor right was how much was somebody willing to pay you to be in the movie all right and then De- you would demi was the first woman who hit 20 right yeah i think, I think so yeah. it was it wasn't julia roberts she didn't get 20 think, million I, I don't think so no but that was the thing and then you would have these actors like ben affleck would get 20 million dollars for something like geely Mm-hmm. or whatever jersey girl whatever the fuck and then it would fail and they started to pair back on telling you how much and the rise of the genre films has given rise to actors taking more back-end deals in terms of their pay where they might not get as much up front but they get x percent cut of the overall like gross once the movie makes money and so you, I, I think you hear about that stuff less, but I also think that it's become gauche maybe to talk about that as much or it, it to has, focus on that as I'm, like, I'm looking at it now and it seems like the paydays are anywhere between 20 to 30 for a lot of people. The, the rock um, makes between 20 and 25 per movie. It seems. And think about that um, though. Like in 19, in the 1990s, we were talking about actors making like 10 to mm-hmm. $20 million per yeah. role. I mean, so in like reality, it's leveled off a lot because sure. costs of inflation, like right. that's not as much as it was 25 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. But still impressive that there's people that can just go out there like the rock, especially, and just get that much money for a movie. I mean, I guess his movies are box office successes. I don't know. Saul Mario. I mean, they they must make enough i guess i don't know I, well he because he'll be in shit like jumanji that makes you know sure it's sure. like 400 million dollars in a holiday season yeah. the rock's on this weird different level kind of because everything he makes is kind of like a blockbuster but there's different levels of blockbusters even anymore right. and some of them are these major franchise blockbusters i mean look he helped turn jumanji into a blockbuster franchise i think in this kind of reboot era of it but but yeah like i think there's just different levels of blockbusters so it's like he can make a shitty movie like san andreas and i have no idea what that made but it's not a good disaster movies whatsoever and um 
but yeah, then like you said, he has like shit like Jumanji. I watched San Andreas a few weeks ago. It's the only reason it comes to mind. Man, do you know who? <clears throat> do you know who the Errol Flynn of the modern generation is? No, it's fucking Johnny Depp. I, I'm an idiot. Like I don't even know why. Right, I yeah, I know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I just don't want to jump to Johnny like so quick. Maybe, but yeah. maybe, maybe Keanu is Tyrone Powers. Holy shit! Know. San Andreas made on a hundred and ten million dollar budget. It made four hundred seventy four million dollars. Right, because this is the thing. Is like because it's, it's The Rock. The Rock, did you watch Jungle Cruise? Have we talked about this movie? No, I did Look, not. Not a great movie, right? Mm-hmm. But good enough, and he's just enough of himself in it that it's entertaining. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you're going to sit there for 90 minutes and be entertained by The Rock, like, it's not really that bad. Sure, and that's what San Andreas is, too. It's I, I can see somebody being entertained by the it's, it's what 2012 it's 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 the same fucking movie you can sit get there and see cities wiped out and the rocks being the rock he's a decent dude and just doing the right thing and trying to save somebody i mean like so you can be entertained by it if you want to be um yeah uh, so i mean the rock is i, I mean i guess the rock is He's a Gen Xer. Like he's worthy of conversation in this in terms of the quality of his roles. Uh, I don't know. He's just he's just doing what he's always done, right? <laughs> like I don't know right. if he's I mean, isn't his best role his first one in the rundown? He is really good in the rundown. Yeah. I I actually like his But that, isn't that ball. just it, okay, yeah. All right. The rundown, the rundown is notable just because it was like, oh, this movie is going to be so awful. And then mm-hmm. it's a legitimately entertaining right, 85 minute, you know, action comedy. And you come out of it thinking like, you know what? Like, I was actually pretty entertained by that. Sure. And the and, and, and you're already expecting The Rock to not be able to act. Right. So right. you're super impressed with The Rock at that point. And. But and ultimately, it's just all of those people in that movie just being the most stereotyped version of themselves. So it's yeah. like Sean William Scott is being Sean William Scott. The Rock ends up being what The Rock is for most movies, and Rosario is Rosario, and Christopher Walken's Christopher Walken. Like, it's, right. but it's like bringing them all together. It just it just clicked. It's there's there's a chemistry there. Um. And I think I, and we I, figured out during our Batman Returns discussion that Christopher Walken is always right. just Christopher Walken. Yes, yes. After a certain point, right. Um, and so, yeah, it's... And, and we talked about this when we talked about a little bit about Red Notice. It's like, now it's just like, who can you pair up with The Rock? Which is, which is a very uh, Golden Age type thing. It's like, well, what if we pair this person up with this person and what will the result be? Like, that's very much what they do with The Rock anymore. It's like, right. let's take Ryan Reynolds in his, like, same role always and put him together with The Rock and let's see what happens. Like, right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, The Rock is good at the role that he plays, but and he's extraordinarily successful and all kudos to him for making a career out of that. Um, he doesn't rank, <laughs> I think yeah. uh, like, but it's like, but it's, but he's an important damn figure. Right. And I'm surprised that I forgot about him. 
honestly. Like, and just didn't even well, think of him that much. We were thinking about great actors, you know, right, no offense right. to him, because I mean, the sure. man definitely commands a presence, but like, why are you thinking about The Rock? You know, I sure. mean, that's not who's on yeah. your mind. So, yeah. Well, I do want to talk about two people before we get into our, our list here is one is I want to talk a, just a little bit about Will Smith, who right. also started out on television coming from a music career and ends up having a supporting role that it's critically well received in six degrees of separation. Right gets stressed by the gay aspect of that role it seems from everything i could ever read about it is doesn't necessarily like that aspect and then suddenly becomes an action star and then gets back in the drama a little bit more over time and kind of alternates between action and dramatic roles of his choosing and career just seems to be mostly just stagnated in action anymore mostly and occasional biopics of some sort yeah i mean will smith is one of those guys that take out like a few of his like early roles i mean he was what what, what's men in black 97 is that right i think you're exactly right so here's a guy that number one jumped back and forth between television film and music interchangeably and almost every year would do something in the realm of all three of those genres right so you always had some will smith song in the summer that was you know like a top 40 hit that you heard on the radio all the time back when all you could do is listen to the radio and had mtv there was always some will smith movie that was in the theaters between like 97 and early 2000s and for the longest time was a movie that was going to be number one at the box office when it opened um, it's not really until he starts having some missteps like Wild Wild West and something like Hitch or Hancock, you know what I mean, where he's really trying to stretch outside of, and there may, I don't know if there's inherent racism to it, but I think Will Smith is one of those actors that was viewed as like, I don't mean this to be my opinion, but I think from the general perception that he was a safe black actor mm-hmm. where you could draw a majority white audience and so as some back some back history from my days in the movie theater um business the majority of films that were helmed and starring and created for a majority black audience would be released on a wednesday because they would want to pull that audience away from a friday to kind of capture it in a bubble where it wasn't competing against the quote unquote more mainstream movies. So until you see the success of um, some black helmed features and you get, you know, some, especially like Denzel vehicles and movies that are created, you know, by black creators that are kind of break that stereotype, they all get pushed into Wednesdays. And Will Smith was the guy who was the black actor whose movies always opened on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And I think that when those movies started to do well, I think there's some, some systematic racism there in the Hollywood Mm. um, model where they were like, well, we're not going to take the chance on this guy anymore. And he got increasingly less money and less pivotal roles, but 
the thing is, is like for years, he would always come back like every couple of years with something that made a few hundred million dollars, you know, like for every Hancock, there's an I am legend. Right. That becomes this breakout movie. Um, And some of it, too, I think is his off screen persona uh, with Jada Pinkett and with his kids. Um, Well, yeah, it's like he he always like borders. He's another Hollywood nice guy, right? Like he 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 seems like a generally good dude. Every every interview you see with him, but still has this level of controversy with his relationship that keeps him kind of in the news and kind of people are like a little hands off with him at times because of is are they Scientologists? Is is he in an open marriage? Like you know, it's like all, there's all these like controversies that kind of surround him and him and Jada that people are just a little hands off, but they generally like the guy when they like see right. him on late night talk shows or interviews and stuff like that. And because he is a generally nice guy, I right. think. And thoughtful guy. <clears throat> but again, I think there's that. I think when Bruce Willis bombs at the box office, especially during like the mid to late nineties, early two thousands, there's less reticence to come back to Bruce Willis or I'm trying to think of another actor that's like analogous to, to Will Smith, maybe even somebody like Johnny Depp, you know what I mean? Like there's people are still willing to like throw that money at him. And not to say that Will Smith isn't in big budget movies. Cause that one, a terrible movie that he's in with um, Jaden um, where they oh, played. Yeah. 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 After or something like that. After something like after Is that right? that's it. That's it. Yep. Um, I mean, that's a pretty big budget movie. Sure. And so is but, Gemini man. Like, see, I think, I think Gemini Man is Ang Lee feeling himself like he's kind of viewed the same way, especially after his Hulk movie, where he's trying to recapture something with Will Smith. Mm. Like maybe the the thought of pulling people because when was that last Bad Boys movie? Two years ago, right? That's beginning yeah, of the pandemic. Ago. Yeah, kind of, right? right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and that movie did relatively well considering like when it was released so i think yeah. that that's kind of the thing is like here's this guy that was kind of on the outs but's now back on the rise and like we can maybe catch lightning in a bottle and it just you know terrible premise right so. yeah but i mean thematically yeah i can see something to that what you're saying about ang lee being attracted to the that premise of the the old hand who has to go up against his younger self and I, the failings of younger self. And I, I, I can see like that, that premise of Gemini man being appealing to Ang Lee. Um, I mean, I just, and this is not this conversation at all, but yeah. I really just kind of feel like, I think at some point it's interesting to look at that kind of double standard that exists for, Movies that cater to a predominantly middle-class white audience and movies that cater to anybody else. And how oh, it's a valid point. There's much less patience with, you know, we we talked about um, Badass last year um, or two years ago, whenever we talked about that movie. Yeah, it was um, this year. yeah. And, well, it feels like a thousand years sure. at this point. But, um, you know, it's kind of covered there where it's like, here's a guy that just wants to make a movie and can't find any funding, can't find any backing unless he wants to play the game where he does something that's appealing to that audience. 
and then all of a sudden there's money there and he you know by holding his ground and trying to have some kind of standards like he sort of has to just do guerrilla filmmaking at that point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean there's plenty of movies because we used to stay after and watch every, every tuesday every tuesday night that a movie would come out on a wednesday we would stay and watch it so then there's some bad bad movies and some great movies and you know for every mm-hmm. player's club there's a you know the wood or whatever but right um just interesting that it was always you almost unless it was the middle of the summer right before a holiday so like a fourth of july release or the thanksgiving release like you did not get anything that they expected to make money on a wednesday like wednesday was the Mm -hmm. dumping ground and it was almost always um movies towards like certain ethnic groups like specific to that and almost always movies you know that were by written by directed by acted in by you know predominantly black cast so hmm. Hmm. that's interesting yeah i actually asked that question once um at corporate on a visit and i got in trouble for asking hmm. it so right well oh because here's about, we've, 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 we've talked one... about it before on the podcast uh, that it was regal cinema this many times so it's like i mean they're predominantly a right-leaning christian organization correct uh, i mean didn't they used think... to cater to christian movies and stuff like that by releasing well, those like in the theater when nobody else really does we were owned by um philip anschutz who was mm-hmm. a guy that was is or was a part owner of the staples center and like those west coast los angeles based okay like entertainment mecca kind of things um, but he also was a part owner of a production company that did stuff like the Veggie Tales movies and this movie about Ruth, the not Babe Ruth, but the biblical character Ruth. And um, like he would he would produce movies like that and they would show them as, you know, where like AMC wouldn't play that movie. It would have been direct to video normally, sure. like some Regals would show it. But you have to figure, too, that like regal made its most money because it was the movie theater chain that was willing to go into less populated areas and just open these giant 20 plex movie theaters Mm -hmm. that pulled people from 20 30 40 miles away i mean you think about glasgow i mean there was nothing in glasgow when right people's plaza um 10 opened in like 1992 and I'm not saying that it's because of People's Plaza. They're the Regal Cinemas there, but that area blew up. Bel Air, there was very little in Bel Air, Abingdon, when we opened that 13-plex or 14-plex down there. And if you go down into the south and you look, like, there's all kinds of places just in small towns, you know, because they weren't going into, like, the major cities. Like, there wasn't a Regal Cinemas in Baltimore. There's Regal Cinemas in Bel Air, and there's a Regal Cinemas in... Right snowden square which is like some sleepy suburb of you know silver springs and you know whatever like that part of maryland Mm -hmm. like they weren't going into the major cities like amc and lowe's and sony were like they were going into the smaller areas and cornering that market and becoming like the de facto exhibition chain for that area and it was actually like a really brilliant business model um and so then think, they over you think they were just and, catering to an audience then at that point by doing yeah, buying, yeah i mean okay. I, I i think in some ways like you're the thing is is like if you're showing 
and it wasn't just like Christian either. I mean, they most of their theaters showed um, a lot of their theaters showed Indian movies. Like they would have Indian movie Thursday, sure. I think. And, I those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they really were just trying to be as inoffensive as possible and grab as wide an audience as possible. Mm-hmm. And that meant that they didn't play a lot of art house. You didn't see a lot of edgy, you right. know, like indie movies for the most part. It was mostly things that were by major studios and safe. Um, and you'd have to go into Philly or whatever, or down into Baltimore if you wanted to see those more edgy movies. Right. You know, but we were packed every Friday and Saturday night. So I don't sure. know. Like, yeah, they were, there was I, was, I, was, I was there on those Friday nights a lot of times. So. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about John Cusack as well. Um, oh, I have him on your list. Oh, okay. So, well, okay. Well, let's go ahead and start this list then. All right. So, <laughs> because Cusack to me, when I put him on this list, I, th- I think he's the guy that rises a bit above people like Christian Slater or Kiefer Sutherland as like, a, oh God, I don't want to use this term, but it's like as a real actor, as like out of that group that, you know, like when I think about John Cusack, let me make my case here of why I think of him differently. In terms of his quality of work, there's a lot of bad stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff as well. There's a lot of good movies. There's a lot of good roles that he has. In terms of gen, being a Gen Xer, like who, like you have Better Off Dead, Say Anything, Gross Point Blank, and High Fidelity. Sure. Like who the fuck has more Gen X cred to some degree off of those movies than fucking John Cusack, right? Right. And then he has other good movies as well. He has The Grifters, Bullets Over Broadway. He has a number of others as well. Like you're um. You're ruining my list here, man. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're stealing my stealing my shtick. I, I'm just trying to defend <laughs> my my reason for why I'm putting putting John Cusack ahead of like all those other people from the 80s and 90s. Like, well, you hit you hit four of my top five. Of his uh, what's your already, well, okay? So. What's your other one? So I did this by performance, and I said Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, gotcha. I I think that he's while that's a mediocre movie, I think that he's pretty amazing in that movie. Okay. Uh huh. So did you rank those? Yeah. Okay. So what is your rank out of those performances? Um, so John Cusack gets 44 points out of my scale and is tied for the lowest on the scale of 11 okay. or the list of 11. Uh-huh. Um, but I have Grifters is one, Gross Point is two, High Fidelity is three, Say Anything is four, and Midnight is five. Okay. And that's an, that's right. an order, a combination of both my opinion of his performance in the movie and my opinion of the movie in general. Okay. Now, the thing that brings Cusack down is his lowest movie, which is 2012. <laughs> right. Um, which is a one. So right. 44 yeah. points from Mr. Yeah. Cusack. Uh, yeah. And so, he, again, I, you, you approach this much more, I think, scientifically quantitatively than i did but it's like yeah but it's like i'm just like thinking more about their careers and what i thought their positives were what i thought their negatives were and movies kind of fall in and out of that and kuzak is a guy who i just started thinking may start started to make bad decisions at some point and not pick the right roles i also think he rose to the level of his competency 
Right. John John Cusack is the preeminent character actor that can occasionally be the lead in a movie that doesn't need to have the lead do too much. Right. So what I'm thinking of, which is a which is a good movie that he co-stars in um that you that I watched based off the quick cage was Frozen Ground, right? Sure. Really good performance in that movie. Sure. And like that's that that's that guy hitting largely his level of competency and his ceiling. Right. And he and he doesn't have a like he he's a guy who has some depth, but not a lot of depth. And so I think his I hate saying this because he's a great fucking performer. Like, you know, who, who the fuck am I? But it's like I, I think he reached a level of like he of where he can go as an actor. And so my my yeah. defense of John Cusack would be that he has spent his entire career trying to recreate his role in the Grifters mm-hmm. and never reaching that point again for whatever reason. Right. I right. love him. Like Gross Point Blank is one of my like hidden gem favorite movies of the nineties. Like I think Gross Point Blank is amazing. Um, I thought you hated that movie for some reason. No, I love Gross Point Blank. Okay, cool. I think Gross Point I, Blank. I like is it as well. The absolute best combination of nostalgia, mm-hmm. soundtrack, and black humor that mm-hmm. kind of like where you feel like you know those characters and it still feels out it feels slightly outside the range of what your life was but close enough where you feel like you can almost touch it right and and, and what a perfect time period to release it and what a perfect actor to use for that Right. In terms of like, you know, his notoriety, what he was known for in the 80s, coming back to that reunion 10 years later, like it's the perfect person to use for it. It it has so many things like in its favor. And I would argue it's one of the best post Pulp Fiction movies that wouldn't have gotten made had it not been for Tarantino. Like where you had all those like copycats of like two days in the valley, like all those kind of things like i don't think gross point gets made with that kind of dark humor without tarantino right and and i think it's one of those movies that wouldn't have gotten made without tarantino i think it's one of the best of those movies Mm -hmm. um i agree because it combines all those elements that like pulp fiction has but in a more easily digestible way maybe yeah and Dak, well, one of the best late career Dan Aykroyd's performances in it, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, they, they all like him, Joan Cusack, um, mm-hmm. what's his name, the guy from Entourage, Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also really, like, you know, just funny, <clears throat> funny performances. And again, like, I think this amazing early alternative, like, soundtrack that, um, yeah, I don't know, yeah. I, I really love that yeah. movie. Okay, so he, uh, I'm, I'm keeping a list of this. 44. Okay, um, this is what you got him down as, just so I can. Kind do, of... do you want? Do you want the other 44? Sure. Let's let's just follow. Yeah, let's follow your. Um, so also coming at number 44 is Matt Damon. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. 
And again, this is a combination of my estimation of his performance in the film Mm -hmm. and what I think of the film in general. Okay. And because his lowest performance, this is the thing, is it's the lowest performance to me that really drags an actor down. Skewing it? Okay. All right. It's not necessarily the mean. It's more the, you know, the outlier. Okay. So I have talented Mr. Ripley, True Grit, (coughs) pardon Mm -hmm. me, Goodwill Hunting, Mm -hmm. uh, The Departed, and Rounders, to me, are Mm -hmm. his five best performances. Mm -hmm. But this motherfucker was in The Legend of Bagger Vance. I mean, have you ever seen that movie? I've seen parts of it. That movie is one of the worst pieces of shit, like, ever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you and I were talking offline about choices, right? Like, Mm-hmm. You got to factor in like the choice they make as opposed to, you know, the overall high quality. And like to me, like that's the movie you decide to do. I mean, come on. So I think Bagger Vance drags it down because honestly, they're all pretty highly rated, in my opinion. But Bagger Vance is two out of yeah. 10 on my scale. So, well, Bagger Vance is the movie that, um, friend of the podcast, Aiden Boyer, always brings up all the time when he'll reference himself, uh, he'll say i'm i'm yeah i'm bagger vance and what he's referencing is that i'm the magical negro um about how offensive that movie is in using the magical negro um you know uh stereotype with will smith in it yeah i've seen parts of it it's a bad movie and it's pretty pretty fucking offensive in terms of like that caricature right overall and so yeah okay let's bring That's just my let, skill let, like, yeah but let, let's bring dan back up a little bit later like i i think i, I have a way to do this now because we didn't talk about this so i want to go through your list and and use that as the piece and then come back to talk about your list a little bit all right yeah i think that's good um and again to your point like throughout this the entire first part of this podcast is I'm in no way considering any other factors like yeah, pop culture, notoriety, or anything else that they've done. Just I wanted to look at their top five movies, rate them, and then their bottom movie. And okay. Okay. All right. So who's next on your list? Uh, with 45 points. Mm-hmm. It's actually another tie to it, 45. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, George Clooney will go with first. Okay. <clears throat> so Clooney to me his top five are oh brother where art thou mm-hmm. out of sight good night and good luck mm-hmm. three kings and from dust till dawn um and dust till dawn 100 is my estimation of his performance in that movie not my estimation of that movie right um most of which were rated high um i also consider putting fantastic mr fox on there but then i wasn't sure if i wanted to go with any voice acting because mm-hmm. a lot of these guys have really good voice acting roles, but I don't know if that necessarily encapsulates like their overall performance as an actor, so I didn't put it on there. Right. Although it wouldn't have changed the score. Makes sense. But George Clooney was in Batman and Robin. <laughs> Arguably <laughs> the worst depiction of Batman ever on film in the worst depiction of his universe ever on film. Okay, just real, real minor defense. This was before Clooney stopped looking at the floor and then looking up and that was his acting style just sure. just saying <laughs> he, he, Look, he some, like some of these I, dudes have roles when they were in their teens so i'm just saying it's not a defense mm-hmm, really. mm-hmm. 
shit, this guy that's also at 45 has roles when he was like an infant. Not that those can made on the list, but I'm, you know. Oh, I think I know who this is. Who's next? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh-huh. Is yeah. next. Uh, my Palace. Top, yeah. My top, yeah, but I, I wish I could have put that on there because that would elevate him to number one. Mm. Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep. Uh, Zodiac. Less Than Zero. Chaplin. And I put Avengers Endgame on there because I feel like that's a good encapsulation of all of his body of work in the Marvel universe, which I think is super important to look at with him as somebody has like a later in life kind of explosion of popularity, really. But Robert Downey Jr. made that Doolittle movie and that Doolittle movie is absolute shit. So, right. Okay. Pulls pulls that point total down. All right, so we're going to come back to all these, and I want you to just go through the list basically with your rationales for these movies that you and, and your and your scores, and we'll come back to all of them. <laughs> Excuse me. What's what's next? So there's oh, there's another forty five. I'm sorry, oh, okay. there's a third forty five, uh-huh. and that one is Brad Pitt. Um, okay. Uh huh. So Brad Pitt has um the Jesse James coward robert ford i can't remember how the exact title of that movie is um that movie jesse james from the coward the coward robert Robert ford Ford, right so that movie i i wrote down if you can see this is the little notepad that i wrote on so Uh, i can see i I had to make my writing tight right um so jesse james uh 12 monkeys once upon a time in hollywood Mm -hmm. um and then i think moneyball and inglorious bastards in terms of performances did you say fight club in there I did not put Fight Club on there um, because I think Fight Club I don't think Fight Club changes. Fight Club actually probably pushes up to 46. Okay. No, no sorry. I, I shouldn't say it. Go, go ahead. Um, that was just, yeah, because I was thinking about Continue on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll talk um, about it. So Brad Pitt was in Cool World. And if you've ever seen Cool World, I have seen Cool World. Yeah, one of the worst movies yeah. ever made. So yes. that's why yes. he's a forty-five. All right. Um. Then there's three forty-sixes. Okay. Uh, so you have Tom Cruise at forty-six. Okay. Um, Tom Cruise born in 1963, but the reason I included him on the initial eleven is because a lot of his movies are just so close to everybody else's in terms of his production that like he falls into the eighties mindset. So go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so for Tom Cruise, I have Magnolia, mm-hmm. um, eyes wide shut. Yes. A few good men, mm-hmm. um, born on the 4th of July. Yes. And interview with a vampire. <laughs> yep. But Tom Cruise is in the middle of sky <laughs> remake of Abrace to So, right. Yeah, fucking garbage. Which is probably going to be on your on a list that we never do, which is a list you sent me of the most unnecessary remakes of all time. Oh my yes. god, there's so many. Yeah. Um. Okay. Next at forty six is Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So Edward Norton has American History X, mm-hmm. uh, Primal Fear. Yep. Second on net. Um. Mention of Rounders. Mm-hmm. Um, Fight Club, I actually put on for him, right? So, yeah, and then the Painted Veil, which is an adaptation of a Somerset Maugham novel. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, um, really great movie. Yep, but also the Twenty Fifth Hour. But uh, yeah, Edward Norton was in Red Dragon, and yes. Red Dragon is trash. Yes, 
and a really terrible decision on his part. Anyway, maybe not. Maybe he thought. Anyway, he's no Will Graham. Right. Or whatever character he's supposed to be. Sure. Uh, so the final <clears throat> final guy of 46 is Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Depp being in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, Ed Wood. Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. The first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. And Blow hmm. are my top five Johnny Depp performances. Uh-huh. But played a Native American in the motherfucking Lone Ranger. Right. And that's right. unacceptable. So right. he's got a lot of bad performances if we're, if we really start going through it. But I mean, yeah, there but are bad know, movies, I guess. But cultural appropriation in it it, it tops the list. Yeah, sure. Right. Or, An adaptation yeah. thirty years past its its shelf yes. date. Yes, I agree. I Not agree. a good choice. All right. So then we got um, one at forty seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um. Shit, I can't read my own writing. Oh, uh, before sunrise and before sunset. Yeah. Um, first reformed. Mm-hmm. Before the devil knows you're dead. Mm-hmm. And reality bites. Mm-hmm. Um, five great performances and a, and a preeminent Gen X performance in reality bites, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Like uh, maybe at one point the most defining Gen X right. performance sure. of its time, like in terms of like actual like, yeah. showing. Right. Outside of singles, which to me is like the Gen X movie. Sure, but, sure. Um, but Ethan Hawke was in Great Expectations, and that movie blows. It does. So. But everybody, everybody, including I think director, agrees that blows, right? I mean. Doesn't mean it doesn't blow. Maybe it means it blows harder if you all realize it does. <laughs> you know what's really funny is like we're, we're, we are so close. Like I didn't always do top five. I just focused on a top three and then sometimes I added more on. We are basically in agreement so far on almost everything. Except, except for, for blow. No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, that's probably true. But like I, I don't I'm not a, like taken aback by that or anything. No, it's it's the fact that it's like I actually think his performance in Before Midnight is better than his performance in either of those other two movies. Oh no, fuck that movie! I'm indifferent to it. Um, I know. I know. <clears throat> so there's one guy at 48, and this actually really surprised me. Yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Train Spotting, mm-hmm. Big Fish, mm-hmm. um, Doctor Sleep. Yep. The Train Spotting sequel. Mm-hmm. And Shallow Grave, hmm. all of which, like, I, I love all five of those movies. Yeah. To me, his low point is Attack of the Clones. Sure. Um, which you can't really fault him for it because you can't turn down Star Wars. But in terms of, like, wooden tone-deaf performances by an actor that should know better, it's it's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's a fucking toxic dart in his filmography, so to speak. Right. Um. Which means that the number one person on all my lists is Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so for was, me, what was the final score there? Oh, 48 for McGregor. Okay. Um, DiCaprio is a 49. 49. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess like if all their movies were great, it would like a 60 would be the total. So 49 is pretty goddamn good. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Revenant, um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, um, Django and Gangs of New York are my top five Leo movies. Mm. <clears throat> and then I th- honestly like going through Leo's movies. I think the worst movie he's been in 
<clears throat> in terms of the movie combined with the performance is the beach. Um, and just because I feel Absolutely. like it, yes. it doesn't necessarily do what it sets out to do. It just kind of comes off as like awkward and off-putting a lot of the time and disjointed like throughout the movie. But still like a watchable performance and a watchable movie. I mean, he's he's the dude that like never had one movie where I said, what were you thinking? This movie is trash when I was looking through his filmography. Right. Now, I haven't seen his J. Edgar Hoover. I don't know what that's like. I haven't seen that either. Yeah. So that could be terrible because I've never heard anything about it. So maybe it's bad. But I mean, even movies that I'm not a big fan of, like Shutter Island, I think Shutter Island is still a competent movie. Sure. And I think his performance in it is, is pretty great. Absolutely. And like, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of Inception, but you're working with Christopher Nolan and you still put forth a really solid, memorable performance. I mean, it's just, yeah, he's the guy that makes really good decisions, never shits the bed and is always going to be in something that's at least watchable. And I think that's a pretty amazing accomplishment considering how many movies he's been in. Agreed. Now let's step back. All right. I want to go back to the beginning of your list. Kuzak and Clooney. Is that right? No, Kuzak no. and um hold on. Who's the other 44? Uh Damon. Okay. Yeah, Matt Damon. Right. Okay. So Kuzak completely agree. <clears throat> bottom of this list out of the eleven. Damon, it's really that's really interesting because I didn't rank past the top five. I have Damon at number four on my list as the top uh, out of the top like actors of this time period um, of, of of our generation. That actually may be right. I mean, I'm not arguing. Yeah, I, it's like because I'm I'm just gonna make the case for this guy a little bit. And your movies kind of make that case. I mean, because remember, what I did is I I was thinking more without looking things up necessarily. I was just looking through their filmography and making kind of, you know, I was looking at quality of work overall throughout the throughout their career and looking at better performances. I wasn't looking at necessarily like terrible performances or bad movies or necessarily. I was just looking at like what is like how many movies they have that I would say that they're good in. Um, and then I was looking at iconic movies or performances, and I was looking at box office. And Damon's the case for Damon, I think, is pretty strong. Like, I mean, like if you look at being iconic, it's like first of all, he's Jason Bourne, right? Right. Second, he's fucking Will Hunting, <laughs> and those two roles by themselves are like things that are just in the consciousness of most i would think of people that are alive today in some way or another um and even if will hunting sometimes the movie itself good will hunting is more like you know used as you know how about them apples and all that kind of stuff i mean and then like you mentioned like he has a number of like solid roles and beyond that he has an he has like a bunch of other roles that he does that are really good. Like you, you also among Clooney Pitt and Damon don't mention the oceans trilogy. Right. Whatsoever, which those three being in those movies, I think is really important. 
Um, and I think another thing that is, I think four versus Ferrari was a really great performance. We just talked about last month. Um, I still haven't seen Interstellar because I don't have anything where it's free. But it's like he has like movies like Elysium, like you know, um, you know, True Grit. You mentioned um, Green Zone that I've seen. Like, there's like some of these movies where he's really good in it, even if the movie itself isn't that right. great. And I think that there's also this element of Damon in terms of like being iconic in terms of a pop culture way of him not being like this stuck up bastard who is all about the art and is willing to make fun of himself is willing to like be a part of like the culture as a whole to where he does like the bit on Jimmy Kimmel where he's constantly getting pushed off for someone else and still like right. shows up on the show it's like there's that like fantastic colbert skit where uh oh what was heaster's song of the summer from blurred lines no it's the other one who what's the fucking what's that fucking group oh um get lucky Yes, get lucky. Where they canceled on Colbert and like Damon like shows up in a little cameo when when they canceled on Colbert and Colbert makes a music video using that song because they canceled on him and like Damon shows up and right. like you know dancing. It's like he he has like so many things like that throughout his career too. It's like I just think he's like this really strong actor, and then you don't even take his producing, his writing, you know like in into account it's like i think that like if we're just looking at an actor i still think he's in the top five i think if we're looking at influential person he might even be more so like um so one of the one of the problems with any time like with with a top five list in general especially mm -hmm. with an actor's career and i knew this when i was making it is you're not really considering the whole body of work. Right. And like, to your point, sure. and I did look at that with DiCaprio because again, I was looking for their worst movies. Right. I just think Damon's been in some shit movies and he has. He has. Absolutely. So I have Damon number four, just so you understand. Like, I mean, like, and, and again, I, I, I think I can, I think I can buy that. Like with your rationale. Mm-hmm. I think I'm okay with that as being like the number four. Yeah. Cause, cause I also took box office to account and he has born and he has the oceans movies. Right. You know? So, so let me he, ask you this question. Yeah. Okay. Here's, I think this is an important consideration. Sure. And I think this is true for somebody like Downey as well. Yep. If your box office is in an ensemble piece, does it really count as all your box office because you're not the draw? I did not do that myself. I, 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 I took point almost like points away mentally because it's not just downing that's the draw. Like here's the thing is that Johnny Depp in a large way is the draw for like a lot of movies that he's in that are super successful. Absolutely, I agree. Same with um Brad Pitt is another one that's like yeah, I agree. You can you can put Brad and for a time I think you could put Matt Damon on a marquee and like that would draw people in. But I think that that's more true for somebody like Clooney, Tom Cruise, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. 
well, I think there's diminishing returns with some of those people like Cruz and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, and I think Clooney as well as like being like the marquee name. I, I think there's, I think there's diminishing returns that we're seeing with some of that. And I love George Clooney. I think he's a great dude, but I, I think the, the older he gets, the less he becomes a leading man. Um, well, I think, I, I think part of that is a conscious decision on his part some to yeah. be more of a producer. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that guy's just happily married at this point and doesn't oh, yeah, need I to agree. be yeah. like, yeah, I in agree. the limelight or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a case to be made. I, like I said, I have Damon number four uh, on my overall list and uh, I think, I think his body is of work warrants it in the end. And, um, and, and, and he's a guy who I don't think is done. Like he's a guy who still has 20 years left in him. I think of acting. And I think we're still going to see a number of roles that are, are really good from that guy. Um, yeah, I, as he ages. I, I think that's right. And so I, so I guess in some ways, like mentally, I'm also thinking about who has a career left in them and who I'm still kind of excited to see, like kind of factors in my subjective, uh, you know, like rankings. Um, so, okay. So your 45s were uh, Clooney and Pitt. Okay. And Downey Jr. And Downey Jr. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. So I I did not have Clooney or Downey ranked in my top five. They are just outside the top five, like, overall. I largely agreed with you. Um, almost completely on those movies. Like, for me, Pitt, when I mentioned Fight Club, I... I mean, he's fucking Tyler Durden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know why I didn't put Fight Club on the list. But so. it's like, as I'm thinking about like iconic roles, and it's like the same thing with Clooney. Like Clooney, even though he has like a lot of roles, like with him, like, you know, like Batman, like, you know, during his early career, Peacemaker, I think like falls into that line. Sure. Where it's like, it's that acting style of like, you know, like staring at the ground and like throwing his eyes up to the woman. Um what was Doug Ross? Is that was that his name on ER? I think um, it's like it's it is Doug Ross. <laughs> it's it, it, it's that shit. And <clears throat> I think that like Danny Ocean is like basically becoming this generation's Sinatra is a pivotal thing, and I think it's iconic in that way. And those movies made a decent amount of money. Um, I think. I think Pitt gets underrated a lot of times in some of the smaller roles. Like you mentioned 12 Monkeys, which is a supporting role, but it's like, he's really good in like movies like sleepers. And like, so it's like his starring roles. It's like, then there's movies like if, okay. So if I quickly go through like Brad Pitt real quick, Um, California, I know you don't like that movie, but I really like Brad Pitt in that movie. Um, I, I think he's good. And I think he's good as Louie in Interview with the Vampire, which you mentioned with Cruz. I think that um, Seven is kind of an iconic movie that he's a co-star in. A really weird, stilted performance in Seven, though. 
Agreed. But it's like, I think he's good in sleepers. Devil's own sucks. Um, Micho Black. Ugh. And so it's like, I don't like the movie because I'm not a big fan of Guy Ritchie whatsoever. But like his role in Snatch is pretty, pretty I fucking... I cannot fucking stand that I know, movie I know, or I know that performance. Can. Oh my so, god! Look, the Mexican is an underrated movie. Like with him and Julia Roberts, like it's a fun like action comedy. Um, you have Troy, which he's the best part of. Like Pitt's performance in Troy is the best part of Troy. You mentioned that. Um, look, I mean, more iconic stuff, right? He's fucking Benjamin Button. I don't like that movie, but he's fucking Benjamin Button. Right. I get right? it. Um, you mentioned Moneyball, right? Yeah. So it's like you have that. And then you start looking. And I know this isn't acting, but it's like you start. I tried to watch Ad Astra like this week because I thought it was still on HBO and it was not. But because uh, I hadn't seen that performance yet. But you start looking at his producing. And we, we, we mentioned this all fair. Is like fucking Brad Pitt is turning into the most most woke motherfucker in the world in terms of his like producing in recent years, of uh, producing what if Beale Street could talk, um, Vice, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Cajillionaire, Minari, like it is crazy some of the movies that he's producing that are critically acclaimed. Sure, and. Oh, I forgot these in the big short too. Like, <clears throat> so I had Pitt as number two on my list. Hmm. Like overall. That's interesting. Like, and I think it's even more impressive that he has built himself from six pack, like, you know, like stud in Velma and Louise, basically in this very, like, you know, small, like, you know, niche role of eye candy into what he's built himself into today. Like, and the, like, the fact that he started there, basically, in terms of getting noticed, and he is what he is today, in terms of acting, I think it's really damn impressive. And I think he's just been on this, like, upward trajectory since the early 90s by doing weird offbeat roles, serious roles that put him in the role of like either a Cary Grant or a Bogart or something along those lines. And it's like, I think he's shown that he has a decent range to him overall. And it's not what I wouldn't necessarily expect it. And he doesn't take himself seriously because I saw that guy on what's the fucking Johnny Knoxville show. Um, Jackass. Jackass. Like, where, like, they're doing the gorilla in the fucking shopping cart thing. And it's, like, the gorilla takes... This is, like, in the, like, mid-2000s. And this dude, like, the gorilla takes the fucking mask off. And it's fucking Brad Pitt, like, taking bumps in the damn shopping cart on Jackass. Like, for no reason whatsoever. Other than he can. Like, this guy does not give any fucks. Doesn't take himself seriously whatsoever. And is still, like, going out there and just delivering... And I love Brad Pitt. But again, by my metrics, and you know, maybe if Fight Club it pushes him up to like forty six, yeah. Because I would take. What do I give Fight Club? It actually pushes him up to forty seven, so it kind of puts him in line with what you yeah, said. It does. 
Um, probably puts him in that top five then. So then you have 46, right? So we have Tom Cruise, Ed Norton, and there another one at 46? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Okay. So Tom Cruise, born in 63, and I include him on here. I agree with you. Out of his top performances, Tom Cruise has become a what joke. Is Tom? Kind of. I mean, a punch. He's, he's not a joke. He's just a punchline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's made himself a joke, and it's like he's this guy who just basically directs himself almost anymore, right? Like, but here's the thing: is that every Mission Impossible movie is really fucking good, and you always like can kind of forget who he is when you watch him in those movies, except for when you watch Oblivion, right? Like, or The Mummy, or something like that. Yeah, sure. Which I watched both of those during COVID. Like he does just as many of those as he does the Mission Impossible movies. Right. And Tom Cruise is a guy that still believes his own press from 1996. Well, it's like, because that's because that's what they feed him, right? Right. Right. I mean, he he still thinks that he's like. I mean, this guy's like almost what 60 years old now, or something like that, and still thinks he's like you know, it's like little man complex mixed with being bullshitted by your religion. Damn, he really is almost 60. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a 58-year-old man. He looks like he's, like, fucking 40. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But anyway, so it's like, I, I, I only include Tom Cruise because of his 80s stature and because he has some great performances, as you mentioned. You know, I, I think he really is a solid actor when he tries, but he's just now in this... And Ethan Hunt's iconic, right? He has tons of iconic characters, but it's like Ethan Hunt is like one of his more iconic characters. And it's like, but now he's just basically trying to be different versions of Ethan Hunt to prove yeah, to Jack, himself Jack that Reacher he's... Jack or whatever. Sure. To prove himself that he's a man by doing his own stunts as he but let gets me... older and older. This, it's, it's the equivalent of Clint Eastwood doing one-arm push-ups at the Oscars, I think. That was but... Jack Talents. Um... Oh, okay, whatever. Same. That's the same thing. No, Jack I'm Collins. sorry. That's actually better because Clint Eastwood was worse because he talked to an empty chair. I think like at a Republican convention. So, <clears throat> so here's the thing with with Tom Cruise is that if you never know that Tom Cruise is a Scientologist, Tom Cruise is by far the number one actor on this list. I think because I think that he gets better roles and is taken more seriously by the public where he never loses the, his star luster if he doesn't do the emperor fucking lightning bolt hands on oprah you know in the yeah, mid 2000s I, and that, I, yeah maybe maybe i mean like i think i i think people can look past that when it's something like mission impossible because they're going to see what boils down to an ensemble movie and really really well done action movie by and large like all those movies right i mean honestly maybe except for the first one like they're all fantastic action movies that have brains and like a heart to them sure can, can, can we can we just quickly just test this out just a little bit and i want you to test this out i'm going to go through his filmography real quick and just name off movies to you so start so after mission impossible 2 right okay so mm -hmm. we have vanilla sky which you said you hate terrible right? yeah awful minority report it's fine. It's not anything special, but it's, it's not a, a bad movie. Right. I tried it. I rewatched it again like last year. I thought it was terrible. Oh, I only um, seen it the once. I found it very mediocre. Yeah, it, it's it's not good. It's boring as shit. And so the last premise, samurai. Though. A good premise. Great premise. Agreed. I mean, last samurai. 
I found it to like kind of reek of cultural appropriation, even though I know that it's like a it's true real, story. It's a bad movie, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it has two. It he's good in it, and Ken Watanabe is really good in it too. Yeah, that's true. So um, it's a bad movie that has two performances right. that are worth watching. Right. War of the Worlds, good movie, right? Sure, I enjoy that movie. Me too. Um, so the but Mission something Post- I would never want to watch again. I'll so, so, so this okay, yeah. I've watched it since I watched it one more time in my life, and I still enjoyed it. Um, it's 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 really good. Um, it's really well done by Spielberg with the tension and all that kind of stuff. So then he has the cameo in Tropic Thunder, right? Which may be one of the best things he's done in the past fifteen years. Um, Tropic Thunder is one of the best movies that contains several actors on this list. I, I'm going to say that. Yeah. Valkyrie. I don't think I ever saw that. Is that the World War II one? Yes. I never saw it. Okay. Night and Day. Did you ever see that one? Is that the one with him and Cameron Diaz? Yes. Yeah, that movie is a bad movie with like three good scenes. Right. Then um, I don't even know how much he's in this movie. I don't think it's much, right? Yeah. Rock of Ages, he's barely in. Um. Yeah, that's more Mark Mark Wahlberg, right? Isn't that movie? Maybe I don't know. I, I Russell Br- the Rus- ensemble cast: Russell Brand, Alec Baldwin, Paul Giamatti, Catherine Zeta Jones. There's no. There's no. Yeah. No, Alan then I Ackerman. don't know. I never even. I never even saw that. I don't think. All right. So then it's Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow. Another Edge Michigan- of Tomorrow is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I haven't seen that. Edge yet, of, so. Ed- Edge of See, so this was going to be my point, but mm-hmm. keep going. Okay. After that. Edge of Tomorrow, uh, another Mission Impossible, another Jack Reacher, um, then The Mummy, and then American Made. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Doug Lyman movie that he was in. That's an action comedy. Of course, it's action. And then another fucking Mission Impossible. Um, And then he has seven and eight lined up for 22 and 23. They'll be good, I'm sure. But um. Right. So here's my point about Edge of Tomorrow. And this was, I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. If you never, if, if Tom Cruise never becomes a crazed fucking Scientologist in the country's eyes, Edge of Tomorrow makes hundreds of millions of dollars because that movie is phenomenal and completely overlooked just because Tom Cruise is whack. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, it made $200 million profit. I think it would have made at least double that if people would not have been if, tired if there of Tom enough, Cruise doing action movies when he's fucking 50 years old. Right, like, and that's me. But part of that is like if Brad Pitt went out and did an action movie right now, I would be a lot more inclined to want to see it. You know what I mean? Sure, because he hasn't he hasn't done. Right. Like it's like what I'm saying is Cruise has like hurt his career it's not just the Scientology and the perception. Cruz has hurt his career by not having any depth, really, throughout the course of the past, like, 15 years. Do you like, think the, they're just all action because, movies? Do you think that's because that's the only roles he can get now? I think it's because he has a little man complex. He's short yeah, as well. fuck. Like, I... I ain't in no action movies. I did <laughs> Um, 
Uh, you threw me off there. Um, so there, okay. So there's Cruz, and then Ed Norton was also on here before we get into like the thing that started this whole thing, which was Johnny Depp. So Ed Norton, I have as like right outside, he's like sixth on my list, basically. He's like a 5B on my list because when you look before he derailed his own career, this guy. So he has Primal Fear. What is that? A Woody Allen movie? Yeah, right. Then he has a small role in. Then People vs. Larry Flint. Rounders, right. American History X, Fight Club. Yep. And then it kind of starts, you know, like, okay, okay, okay. And then he does have the 25th hour in 2002. Then the Painted Veil. Then the Painted Veil, right. Yep. And 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 then it just all kind of and then he, he hooks up with Wes Anderson, does some small roles here and there, and nobody wants to work with him because of the Hulk anymore, and like he's like a prima donna, and he does he's actually in every Wes Anderson movie, pretty much after after um, Darjeeling Limited, right? Yes, yes, starting with Darjeeling Limited, he's in all of them, I think. I think it's Darjeeling that he's in. The, he's that Moonrise Moon Kingdom? No, it's Moonrise. I think was the first one. So Moonrise, the Grand Budapest, and um, French Dispatch. He's in all three of those, I'm pretty sure. Yes, that's true. He's also in um, Isle of Dogs um, as a voice. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people are. Anderson. Yeah. So he's going to be in Nice Out, too, uh, coming out here um, at some point, probably in the next year and a half. But this is a guy who derailed his own career by being a prima donna. And wanting too much control all the time on the set. And like the end result of this is him being a writer, producer, director, which was Motherless Brooklyn from a couple of years ago. And that movie, which is a great fucking Jonathan Lethem novel that I absolutely love. For some reason, he sets it in the 50s as opposed to the 90s when the novel was set in order to give it some sort of noir flair. And it's a bad, it's a bad movie. It's not a good movie um whatsoever and yeah, i think it, i actually think you capture a better noir feeling if you said it in the 90s agreed <laughs> you have that kind of brick feeling where mm-hmm. you're playing against like expectation by setting a movie in a you know tone wise in one deck in one generation and setting wise in another and i think it would work really well I agree with you. He also fucking executive produced Gotti. So, I mean, his the one his, with um Travolta? Yes. Oh. So his choice making is not um not a, yeah, not up to snuff. Let me tell you something. I watched like 20 minutes of Gotti, man. I that we I I need to I need to get really drunk and watch that movie in full one night because I think that I will like probably have an aneurysm yeah. with laughter. <laughs> All right, so let's 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 turn to Depp real quick. And this is the guy that generated the whole discussion about this list in the first place. And at one point, Johnny Depp was both what, like a sexual icon of the time period, the preeminent actor of the generation, and probably the most mysterious figure right i guess like to some degree out of the generation he got like tons of press but also nobody knew what the fuck he was about or like you know anything like that like like johnny depp has like that early string coming off of 21 jump street where 
he's in Edwards. Well, he's in Crybaby with John Waters, and then it's like right. was great talked, Yeah, which we talked about on the podcast last year. Edward Scissorhands. Then he's like Benny and June. What's eating Gilbert Grape? Ed Wood. Yep. Yep. And then it's like I remember reading as Don Juan DeMarco was getting ready to come out that I remember Entertainment Weekly mentioning talking about this movie that it's like how amazing is this that you're going to have Marlon Brando in a movie with this generation's Marlon Brando. Yeah. That's the kind of hype that like Johnny Depp had at one point. And even after that, he does some damn fine movies here, right? It's like right. I'm not Donnie I'm Brasco. Sure, Donnie Brasco, Nick of Time, he's really yeah. good as like the straight man in a Hitchcockian yeah. film. Fantastic movie and performance. Fear and Loathing is probably one of his like I, I would argue like to play Hunter it's, Thompson is one of his most it, it it's his best, most transformative performance of his career. Sure. Um, he, it's, I would argue net this and another guy we didn't talk about, but I think definitely preeminent actor of the Gen X, but he's dead. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's that Depp as Thompson and Hoffman as Capote Cody. Yeah. are maybe the two greatest. Yeah performances of an actor of another existent human being in terms of like absolutely capturing every nuance of that yeah in two widely different ways you know like the gonzo like literally gonzo over the top performance of depp as thompson and the understated like heartbreaking performance of hoffman as um as capote yeah i i i can't disagree with you and there and there is honestly we didn't talk about this and i completely forgot to mention them there's probably the best actor of gen x right there it's just that you know cut so tragically short tragically short and almost always in supporting roles except for basically capote doubt yeah you're right you're right before the devil knows you're dead he's the lead in that him and him and hawk are the leads right yeah and and Marissa so, Tomei and an amazing for that. Sure. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, that movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Something nobody ever talks about, but yeah. All right. So. And you had Blow on your list. Yeah. And then. <coughs> then basically, it's like, okay, okay, okay. And then, then a Jack Sparrow, which right. is one of the most iconic and will be one of the most iconic roles for a very long time. Like probably the most iconic role that he creates, but I mean, he has several like in terms of, you know, Edward Scissorhands, I think is this like iconic character that he created along with Tim Burton. And, but Johnny Depp's career just kind of falls by the wayside at some point. I will always argue it's because he attaches himself too much to Tim Burton at some point. And like, and maybe that's just me. I just, so it's like Allison, like his, his roles playing like, you know, Alice in Wonderland and what else does he do? Dark shadows and like all these mm-hmm. other like Tim Burton things. It's like Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd. Right. It's like, 
Sweeney Todd is a decent. I mean, it's I'm fine. Gonna, it's fine. It's decent movie. Right. It's good fine. musical. Right. And you're right. The Lone Ranger thing, which isn't burden, but still, like, I. So let me take your burden argument and stretch it just a little bit more than that. Okay. Johnny Depp loses his way because because of Tim Burton and because he thinks that he has to completely bury himself to the point of unrecognizability into a character in order for somehow that performance to have meaning. Yes. Because that's every one of his performances is him like, like, look, I love Brad Pitt. When you watch Brad Pitt act, you always know you're watching Brad Pitt. You do. Like, I hate the movie, but look at the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland mm. and compare that to Barnabas, whatever, in Dark Shadows to Jack Sparrow. They're almost unrecognizable right. as the same actor. Right. And that's the thing is like, at what point do you lose your marketability as a star? I don't know. If you're not that per right, if you're not the actor anymore. Right. Like if you're losing yourself too much. I mean, I, I have two I, I have, I've always had another theory. It's actually a theory me and uh, Wesley talked about a long time ago is that, and, and I've seen it play out ever since, is like, I don't think after he plays Hunter Thompson that he ever loses Hunter Thompson. And I've seen this in a number of roles. I think that Jack Sparrow is just as much, I know he's famously said that it's uh, Keith Richards and Pepe Le Pew are his influences for Jack Sparrow. Hunter Thompson is just as much of an influence to Jack Sparrow as either of those two characters. And it's, it's down to like a role like rear window where all he has to do is go in and play a guy who's suspicious and paranoid. He can't like, there's a scene where he like grabs something out of a car in the console and he snatches it. Like, just like Hunter Thompson does, just exactly like he does as Hunter Thompson in Fear and Loathing at one point. There's this, like, slow, creeping hand moving in and this quick snatch. This guy can't even drop Hunter Thompson when he's in a Stephen King adaptation. Like, I think there's something that psychically influenced Johnny Depp about following around Hunter Thompson all those years that influenced all of his decision-making and his roles after that. And I, and you know me, like I fucking have loved Hunter Thompson my entire life. And I love Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as a movie. I, I think it fucking hurt him as an actor. I fucked, I think it fucked him up. I think it he I just think, said, yeah, think, he was trying to, Yeah. I think it influences some of his burden movies too. Well, I mean, I think I don't, I mean, like we're not actors and I don't sure. necessarily begin to understand, especially like the method performance of acting and immersing yourself in a character to almost to the point of unrecognizability. But like, I don't see how that's wrong or how that can be wrong. Like, now he does many performances after that, but even in like Blow, you still see a little bit of that Hunter Thompson in depth mm -hmm. that you don't see in depth before Fear right. and Loathing. Yes, just a little bit, and like not much, but there are certain mannerisms and certain ways that like when he acts, he starts to move his hands and like mm -hmm. hold his head and 
tense certain parts of his face where it's like you know what a really good example is better than blow is the fucking um secret window whatever that movie is called that's what that's the movie i'm thinking of with the king adaptation yeah where he snatches yeah yeah and it's like you see him it's it's he whips his head but not over dramatically just slightly and then like catches it and Mm -hmm. freezes his face and it's like you know that kind of kind of looks like hunter a little bit there so yeah i mean i i see that yeah Uh, and i think the stagger of jack sparrow a lot of times is is hunter thompson influenced i i i even i haven't seen the entire movie but i've seen parts of dark shadows and i have seen a couple like small like facial ticks and stuff like that that are very influenced by his portrayal of hunter thompson um I, maybe i don't know if you can follow around somebody that long without you know i mean this, this is a guy that paid for like the what cannons to be shot off at hunter thompson's funeral this is how close he became to this guy like right like uh, i don't know if you can follow somebody around that long without becoming you know i think the other thing with johnny depp because i think he's the most pivotal figure on here because of like his early career and what was expected of him versus what has turned out i think when river phoenix died and like Johnny Depp is the guy that's holding River Phoenix as he dies. It's like I think somehow psychically, generationally, all of the expectation of River Phoenix, along with the expectation of like Johnny Depp, got transferred onto Johnny Depp. And it's like I think that's a big fucking weight to bear. Yeah. But maybe that's why he dives so much into every performance afterwards. I I th- I I think like that's to the point true. of yeah, not yeah. ever being Johnny Depp. You know, I, I maybe agree. That's, I think it's also because he was mechanism. considered so pretty. Pretty too. I think it's the same thing. Like I think it's like both that and the River Phoenix thing is like he just like tries to transform himself in every yeah. single role, and like not be pretty and tr- and 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 to really get into the craft and. I think it worked for a while, and then I think, I don't know. It's interesting, because you see, having now become a preeminent expert on this man, I guess, <laughs> you see kind of the same thing with Nicolas Cage, too, in the sense that, like, Ooh, I was going to ask you about, yeah. <laughs> here's a guy that achieves some early success, and then continuously is almost a character of himself in every single movie. Nice. And again, like the better depth movies are the ones where he works with a truly talented director. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is Burton because maybe they become so comfortable with each other that there's no, you know, once you know somebody so well, how do you tell them that what they're doing doesn't work? Or how do you even see it? Like maybe you don't see it because of the level of comfort mm-hmm. there, where like I think he's. It's not a great movie, but I think he's really good in Finding Neverland. I think he's really good in Donnie Brasco. Yeah. And he's playing different characters in those movies with sure. more restraint and more humanity to him. Um, and not that Gore Verbinski is like any kind of, you know, mirac- like amazing director. Right. But you get the very perfect combination of a guy who is very adept at directing big moment action scenes 
and an actor that can rise to meet him in a way that's like both appropriate and unconventional, which Depp does pretty adroitly through those first like few Pirates movies with the combination of like monkey limbed litheness and just absolute like tomfoolery and you know irreverence i guess yeah. to what's going on it's mm, a very good description <laughs> thanks <laughs> all right i i know this is running long so i just i want to plow through the last three actors on this one might take a little longer than the other but ethan hawk i i have him again just like not long i just by the way Johnny Depp is number five on my list. Um, I have, again, Ethan Hawke right around like the same area as Ed Norton, where it's like he's just kind of outside. And I think I think Hawke is still on an upward trajectory myself. Right. And Ethan Hawke, like God willing, has a number of very memorable performances left in him i think agreed and i i and i know that you're indifferent to it whatever i i think the nuance that he shows in before midnight and then for first reform which we talked about earlier this year gives me a lot of hope for hawk as he ages um i i think that um yeah i i'm really looking forward to a lot of his roles so then that's at 47 that was your only 47 right um yeah okay that's 48 and 49 right so you mcgregor this is the guy that i mostly want to talk about is you listed like all of his roles i agree with all those and while you list this first movie as attack of the clones i completely 100 percent agree with you that like basically his worst three performances is probably those three movies or at least the worst three movies that he's in hmm. um He's still fucking Ben Kenobi, right? right? Like, in terms of being iconic. And... like I'm looking forward to seeing him in his Obi-Wan series that's I, coming out. Uh, I agree, yeah. Like, I, I, I think that will, like, cement him as Ben Kenobi and redefine that role in a more positive I way. I do, too, Before, because you'll have actually have somebody that knows how to write, probably writing that series. Right. <laughs> so, um, I, I've been surprised and pleased with all the disney stuff so far related you know with the mandalorian and stuff like that so and with a lot of the marvel stuff so overall like i'm looking forward to that and i think it'll be done well and i think he'll do really good with it i have a number three him at number three on my list mm. and i have him as somebody is not only number three so you have him at number two i guess according to yep. your like I have him at number three behind Leo and Brad Pitt, right? And not only for the movies you mentioned, I still haven't watched Train Spotting 2 yet because it's never free anywhere. But some things that are not being taken into account recently with Ewan McGregor is one, his, and I mentioned this briefly on a quick cage, I think, his performance in the season three of Fargo, where he plays two twins, is one of the best damn performances that i've seen on television in quite a while mm. the other performance on television again is his performance in halston not a great series he just got nominated for a golden globe for it not a great series but as a performance 
in Halston, the Netflix series, like miniseries, fucking amazing. Like Ewan McGregor in the past like five years, six years or whatever, is building up this like body or performance that is amazing. Like his performance is Danny Torrance out of this world. Yeah, fucking really amazing. Like the TV performances that he's doing, I'm really looking forward to Ben Kenobi in this new series. Like this guy is a guy that could easily throughout the next 20 years, depending on what he does, considering he has, again, he's Ben Kenobi fucking train spotting like train. Like I know it's the movie and not his performance necessarily always, but it's like, the shot of like somebody di- like of him diving into the fucking toilet is one of the more iconic fucking shots of the 1990s in terms of film. And it's like that's him. That's 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 Ewan McGregor. Like this guy is um I think this guy's heating up in his 50s and isn't going to stop like anytime soon. And I'm I think at the end of the day, segueing it into Leo, who is my number one right now. I think I've seen every Leo performance besides Jay Edgar and The Revenant, and I've only haven't seen The Revenant yet because you won't put it on a list. <laughs> and I think I've seen pretty much every performance now, at least in at least in part. And I think I've seen pretty much every one. Like, this is the guy who I think will ultimately compete with Leo at the end of the day, is my prediction over the next, like, 15 years. Because McGregor's heating up. (laughs) I think if Leo slows down and takes less roles Mm -hmm. and McGregor just stays at his pace, I think that's true. And it's funny that you mentioned that scene in Train Spotting. So we talked about Reality Bites and Gross Point Blank as kind of being like, Right. These almost like perfect example of Gen X movies. And again, to my in my opinion, I think singles is probably as close as you get. Mm-hmm. I think train spotting is the underbelly of all of that, but also just as perfect an example. Because and I nobody really talks about this anymore, but like there was a seven or eight year period where people were obsessed with the idea of that heroin chic, you know, mm-hmm. like ultra skinny sort of sickly looking but like cut features sure drug use or drug abuse like like couture or whatever and train spotting is the absolute like perfect encapsulation of why that is like the stupidest idea ever (laughs) right right but still in a way that makes you think like i mean shit like i loved sick boy and renton Mm-hmm. you know, in, mm-hmm. in 1993 or whenever that movie came out. Like, yeah. I wanted to be those characters, you know? So, not like necessarily... Well, you probably were, well, you were those characters, except for the fact that you weren't her- a heroin actor, right? Like, right. I mean, degree, like, that's like what I, you associated with them. Huh? Yeah, I dressed like that and sure. whatever. But, again, like, it's just... And I had seen him already in Shallow Grave, and I thought Shallow Grave was great. But it was like... We always talk about Pulp Fiction as being like this watershed moment mm-hmm. <clears throat> for us as, you know, fans of film. And I think that's true. But I, there's a part of me that thinks that for me, Train Spotting was just as much that movie mm-hmm. 
that made me realize how much I could love just watching movies. Right. And I was probably 17, I guess, when Train Spotting came out. I can remember what your Train Spotting was released, but that movie just blew me away. 96. Yeah. 96. Okay. So I was 19 when it came out. Right. Blew me away and completely like, I don't know, like invigorated my love for finding these British indie movies and watching them, like sometimes much to my detriment. Um, but still, yeah, and it's it, it's him, you know, it's McGregor that's like the bright and shining star of that movie, right? Anyway, so you can yeah. go back there, so we can finish out. So, uh, yeah, the the thing is, when I look through his filmography, it's like there's nothing that like necessarily that I've seen at least. I mean, there's plenty of movies I haven't seen. What was your worst movie for him? For McGregor? Yeah. Oh, um, episode two. Oh, right, right. That's right. Yeah. You you take Lucas out of the equation. It's like, what is this? Like, kind of, what is his worst movie? Right? Like, I, 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 I don't know if I've seen him do anything that, like, I think is like really bad. Like, really bad. He's consistent, like, pretty much. And there's plenty of stuff I haven't seen of his where he does small roles, but, um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe the island, that Michael Bay movie. Is that the Scarlet Scarlett Johansson one that he does? Like it's him and Scarlett Johansson, I think. Yeah, Jimon who's mid two thousands or something like that. Like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember that like coming out but i i never saw that movie oh hey you missed nothing i'm sure um that men who stare at goats movie is not good i've only seen pieces of that that was Clooney as well Mm -hmm. right yeah Uh, he's in a lot of stuff i've never seen yeah maybe oh that uh, a million well that's a bit part so i guess that doesn't really count Oh yes, a cameo. I'm wondering if I shouldn't go look at some of his movies, honestly, that aren't as well known. I always heard really good things about American Pastoral, and I still just have never watched it because I haven't seen it come up anywhere for free, honestly. But yeah, we'll see. Oh, he's doing a fucking. Del Guillermo del Toro is doing a fucking animated Pinocchio with him as fucking Jiminy Cricket. That is that actually sounds really awesome. All right, so with Leo, and let's just finish this up. Leo was my number one. He has the most consistent body of work. I agreed with you, I think, on every single role that you mentioned of his. I just watched Gatsby the other day just because I was trying to watch movies of people on this list I hadn't seen. And I'd seen parts of Gatsby, but I hadn't seen the entire thing. Not a good movie overall, in part because of Lorman's direction and Tobey Maguire being just casted in it. But um, Leo's... I've seen Alan Ladd 
and I've seen um, what Redford do Gatsby like Leo's definitely out of those like major three I think adaptations he's the best Gatsby out of all of them he's charming manic I think he understands the role of Gatsby as being kind of toxic himself even though like he's still this idealist and romantic like I think DiCaprio is a dude that as an actor is smart enough to understand those kind of things and I think that's what he brings into every role I'll always argue that he plays it a little safe always I'll argue that he plays it a little bit safe by the roles that he takes right but it doesn't mean that he doesn't fucking deliver when he takes those roles and the fact that the beach is the worst movie that you'd come up with which I would probably agree with you um, without having seen a few of his movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like he's a guy who's just, what, slow and steady wins the race. And he's lifted himself up as like the top of this generation right now. So like your score system and my less scientific subjective system kind of led to the same place, I guess. Um, is that like Leo definitely right now is number one, but I think you and yeah, it's interesting that they ended up being one and two on both of our lists, really. Yeah, with completely different. Well, criteria. I have pit, I know I have pit number two as oh, okay, on right. my list right now, but I think that I think Pitt's on the downhill climb, uh, the, like he's on a decline right now, like he is. I don't know, can Pitt do many things better than what he did in Once Upon a Time? Is that character? I mean, I don't know how popular an opinion this is outside of like you and I, but you're talking about, to me, one of the greatest movies of the past 20 years, like, and an incredibly well-realized role in that movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, can can Leo ever be better than his character in Once Upon a Time anymore? You know, I, I mean, don't know. Like, I don't know. And honestly, to me, The Revenant is like one B to that performance. Mm -hmm. Like I and they're completely different performances, obviously. But um, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with actors is when Tarantino gets them, yeah, like he really gets them, and he really knows how to like. I'll be interested to see what that last movie is with Tarantino just to, and, and who he casts. Like, who knows? But I, I I know we've been primarily talking about movies, but if, if McGregor keeps taking those TV roles that, especially miniseries and stuff like that, and keeps nailing these performances, like his overall total body of work, like, you have to think, like, Houston. Like I said, I didn't think it was a great series, but the fucking performance is amazing. That's six hours worth of fucking performance. You know, same thing with Fargo, like being like fucking 10 hours. Like that, that to some degree, like those like dual performances in Fargo supersedes like what, two or three movies? <laughs> I've never seen it, so I don't know. Yeah, you'll have to watch that someday. Like the, because you just watched the first season. Is that right? The first season and the first like two episodes of the second season. Yeah, you, so should watch, you should watch Sex Season. Sex Season is the best season out of the entire show. Sad, but. sad admission is yeah. that I love television shows, but like mm. 
if any one small thing happens that disrupts me from watching a television show, I can never go back to it. That is very true. Yeah. Like something yeah. happens in my head where it's just like, eh, like I can't start this again. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, great television performances from him. So, uh, yeah. Huh. So this was interesting. It was. It was. It was a fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes over the course of the next fifteen years. And if we were alive to see it. I'm going to live forever, motherfucker, so I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what do we determine tonight? Leo's number one. Um, Spence Chagrin's first category is a movie involving hacking. And next week. Can I, we, huh? Can I take that literally and make it like somebody that coughs a whole bunch? Oh. When you said literally, I thought you meant hacking in the sense of like a fucking cleaver or something. Like oh, that. well, there or, you go. Um, no, it is. It is. It's computer computer hacking. hacking. I got it's computer it. hacking. I'm not, I'm not going to try and break <laughs> the system this early. <laughs> um, yeah, it's computer hacking. Well, I just ran across seriously like two movies in the past week as I was looking at people's filmographies for this very list that involve computer hacking in, in some way. I think there was yeah. a fucking Ewan McGregor movie that had computer hacking in it, maybe. Or maybe it was Ethan Hawke. I don't know. It's one of those two. So. Try to find that movie. All right. All right. So, so next week, we will be back with top movies of 2021. No. Will... 2001. Oh, 2001, yes. 2001. And one of them will be a Johnny Depp movie. I could do the top movies of 2021 if you want. What is that? What's that list? Oh, I don't know. I, I got to go back. I, same odd is on it. There you go. There's one. <laughs> okay. Um, you've, we've talked about more. Power of the Dog will be on it probably, right? Sure, but I just you wanted me to come up with a list. I got one. That's how I do it. <laughs> okay. All right, so we'll be back next week with sorry with the top five movies of two thousand and one, and um, then we'll be starting our new year, and we'll announce, I guess, the first probably a couple months next week. So, thank you for listening to this very long conversation at this point now about Gen X actors, and um, we'll see you next week. Yep, deuces. <laughs>